Welcome to Candid Conversations, a podcast aimed at members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to help them better understand and be compassionate toward their LGBT family and friends. I'm Madeline. And I'm Sydney. And you're listening to our pilot episode of Candid Conversations. Yeah, we wanted to begin this episode with kind of just discussing the structure of what you're going to hear in the future really quick. There will be a pre-section, which is what you're listening to right now, (laughs) which is just the two of us kind of talking, introducing um, the person who we're going to interview, which is the second part of this podcast. Interviews are usually about 15 to 20 minutes. And then afterwards, we'll have a little bit of post-discussion about our own reactions and responses, which will hopefully help you, the listener, figure out your own action and response to um, the story and interview that you just heard. The reason that we wanted to do this um, was because Sydney and I have had experiences with um, friends and loved ones that are in the LGBT, LGBT community that... Um, where we have had questions or misconceptions even, and we've been able to, over the years, increase in understanding and compassion. And both of us feel um, a great sense of gratitude for being able to really uh, feel that we can better understand and love and um, listen to even our LGBT family and friends. And we wanted to help you um, do the same and join us on that journey. We're still in the process of learning yeah. and increasing and in understanding and compassion. Yeah. But uh, we just have a lot of love for those in the LGBT community and um, for the church and, and for Jesus Christ. And so we really want to create a podcast where we can put the two together and um, make some sense of it all. Yeah, and we are so much still in the learning process. So this is actually our second run through of recording this pilot. Like I said, we've even learned more during our ex- ex- exposure, and we want this first episode that introduces what we're about to be representative of what our our mission is. We know that there are a lot of high stakes in this mission we're trying to accomplish, and that there's a lot of room for um, maybe people to um, feel offended with things that we say, or maybe we say things incorrectly. But and and we totally recognize that. Yeah. No, it's a, it's hard. This is such a sensitive crossroad because uh, it's hard to think of subjects more vital to people's hearts than who they love and what they believe, and that intersects in really complicated ways, to say the least, between the LGBT community and the LDS Church. And it's hard to figure out how to talk about it. So this is our attempt at talking about it because it just because it's difficult to talk about doesn't mean that we should avoid it on the other it kind of means the opposite that because it's so difficult and so wrought with emotion it becomes even more important for us to engage as, as members of the church we have covenanted um, to God many things and one of those things that we learn in the Book of Mormon that we've covenanted is to bear one another's burdens that they may be light so the question is how can we bear one another's burdens if we don't exactly know what they are. We really want to help you have a greater understanding of what those burdens are that people bear that are LGBT and how you specifically can help them bear those burdens um, or simply just understand them better. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to try to engage in a very compassionate dialogue (laughs) throughout these episodes. Um, And we really want to provide you with the tools um, in which that you can increase in understanding compassion. So um, once every episode, we'll kind of give you a call to action and maybe give you some ideas and provide some insights as to how you can um, reach out to those that you know that are in the LGBT community and how you can develop even a stronger relationship and understanding for them. Yeah, absolutely. So with that being said, we're going to just give you a quick introduction of both of ourselves. Um, My name's Madeline Keatman. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and I've been in Utah for a while now. I served my mission here in um, the St. George Visitor Center, actually. And since I've been at BYU, I've um, been studying English, and I graduate uh, this upcoming April. I've been married for a little over a year. Um, I love running and cooking with my husband. 
botanical gardens. Um, and I've been, since I've been at BYU, I've also been working at the MTC for about the past four and a half years. And um, it's been, it's been wonderful and I love it there. So I'll be sad when I graduate. But yeah, that's a little bit about me. So Sydney. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm also an English major who's been married for a little over a year. <laughs> I am from Tooele, Utah. I suddenly ran out of all of my fun facts. Okay, <laughs> um, so I'm from Tooele, Utah. I um, just am your stereotypical English major in the sense that I love, you know, reading and writing. I also really love outdoor stuff, tennis, running, cooking, which is indoors. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, so this next semester I'll actually be, be doing an internship with a friend magazine in Salt Lake, which means that in two weeks I'll have finished all of my classes at BYU, which is really awesome. Woo! I'm so excited. <laughs> Go <Yay>! Sydney! <laughs> yeah, um... Since we might have voices that could get confused on this podcast, a really quick way to tell me apart from Madeline is I tend to speak with a little bit of a stutter. Um, today's a really good speech day, <laughs> um, so that works out well, but you may hear me stumbling or pausing or saying like and um a lot so to avoid stumbling or pausing, and yeah, if you hear that, it's probably me. <laughs> and if you hear a really obnoxious laugh... It's probably me, <laughs> Madeline. <laughs> All right. So um, that's a little bit about us, but we'll go ahead and introduce our first interviewee, Gray Burton. He is a gay 21-year-old majoring in social work at Utah State University. And he's been kind enough to um, communicate with us via phone call. And so you'll be hearing um, this interview in a phone call format. But we really... Um, tried recording it the, with the best quality we could so just know that <laughs> and then we'll be talking a little bit afterwards about um, some of the things that Gray discussed and so yeah, yeah enjoy the interview here's Gray okay so great we are so happy that you decided to join us for this interview um, today and we'd love for you to just to tell um, our listeners a little bit about yourself yeah, sure. So my name is Gray Burton. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I guess this is always relevant, but for the topic of this podcast, um, I identify as a gay man. Um, currently doing my undergrad at USU. I'm studying social work and minoring in American Sign Language. Um, I'm currently an intern at USU's Inclusion Center, which serves basically are underrepresented minority students on campus with different clubs and programming. Yeah, anything you want to know specifically? Um, let's see, I think you gave us a lot of great things. I love what you said about working with the Inclusion Center and everything. Tell us a little bit about what inspired you to get involved and become a part of that. So last year I served on one of the club councils there, the for the Queer Student Alliance, um, where I was just one of the officers that helped organize things and manage the student club. And then I just so happened to be going into my senior year of my program. And the way it works is your senior year of a social work degree, you do a practicum. And that's determined through a pretty like long, detailed process of interviews and meetings with faculty and stuff. And so I actually didn't personally make the final decision to get involved there this year but I was placed there for my senior practicum if that makes sense oh, um, but okay. it, it makes sense that I'm there because I've had experience there before and uh, my whole program I was one of the most interested in this kind of social work so that's kind of why I ended up there okay I love that that's awesome so you're just kind of placed there it sounds like but it sounds like you also genuinely want to be there. <laughs> yeah, I really like believe in the mission it's all about, and uh, it's more a general, like a larger community kind of work, which I'm more interested in. Yeah. If you don't mind telling us, what are um, just maybe two or three things that you've learned while being in this practicum? Um, I've learned a lot about how 
to do to develop kind of different programs like we for example we're trying to develop one about how to be an ally to undocumented students mm. and it's more catered towards professors so helping them learn how to have resources and stuff for that uh, a lot of the stuff is carried over from when I served on the club council last year but I've definitely learned a lot about what it looks like to kind of create a place of belonging and really practicing inclusive language and being aware of the different life experiences a lot of these students have. I love that you you yourself have experienced being an ally to people that are undocumented um, on campus and in your university, and you've experienced what is needed um, whether you know emotionally or just socially in order to help people feel included. And so what I'm wanting to know is what has helped you um, as uh, being gay and um, living in Utah even, what has helped you to feel that you have an emotional and social connection with those that are interacting with you? So you're asking, because I have kind of have a lot of experience practicing or like striving to be an ally to other groups since that's more so a constant and not a label to arrive at so i yeah i strive to be an ally to other groups so how have i felt that same energy towards me basically exactly yeah well i think a lot of it comes from like a lot of those people that I interact with who are really good and make me feel welcomed are like people that I choose to surround, my, surround myself with, which that sounds like a given, but it's kind of like the teachers in my department or the friends that I have made are because of that. And I think it's just pretty simple. I mean, at risk of sounding cheesy, it's kind of just like you feel loved and welcomed by people. Mm-hmm. Um, and making sure that like to acknowledge the hardships that they might have faced. Like a lot of allyship is um, just recognizing that these differences they don't make us less or worse than each other, but they have had implications on the life experiences we've had. So recognizing that you do come from different places and that you understand and support these people, I think that's a kind of a basic way of how I felt that towards me too. And so going along those lines, when specifically have members of the church treated you with that kind of empathy or um, understanding and love that you explained? And of course we're saying members of the church specifically because this is a podcast aimed at, you know, members of the church. Yeah. And and then also with that, with it being candid conversations, you know, that you're also welcome to answer both ways in experiences that you haven't felt that as much let's see so i know that i mean um my family's been pretty good and they're all most of them at least i think are still active lds and and i've made some friends at school that have been active lds and basically it goes back to what i just said where when I have said things about the church or about how the church treats the LGBT community at large, um, I've been met with just understanding and listening rather than making it a matter that's up to debate. And so the people that I've met who are members of the church and feel like welcoming, that's usually been their understanding when the topic comes up. Um, and, and so naturally, on the contrary, when people are treated as uh, like a political discussion that you can agree to disagree or that like there's a correct answer on on the side of the oppressor, that it's like, that just doesn't feel as welcoming. Yeah, for sure. No, and like that's definitely something that can be so consistently frustrating sometimes is when you are trying to talk about an issue that you've had specific experience with and people minimize it because they haven't felt it themselves you know yeah and, or they think that they don't conduct themselves that way so there's no way that that has happened to you from other people your first response has to be that you hear what the person is experiencing you know before you 
Kat can even begin to think about, like, um, I'm trying to think, like, discussing it further, trying to flesh out, you know, stuff like that. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's because if you're trying to be an ally to somebody, um, like you were saying, the first step of that is to trust them on their experiences because out of any group who's going to know what they've been through, it's going to be them, right? Yeah. So it's kind of just being able to listen to them. And unfortunately, there's a lot of gaslighting from the church when this comes up. Like, for example, the infamous November policy um, and how that was whatever the phrasing like rescinded this past the past few months uh a lot of people when when people were like because a lot of people expected the lgbt community to really celebrate that and in some ways i know a lot of lds lgbt people did celebrate that but mostly it was like well why did you put us through those three years of of that and and do you not recognize that like the teen suicide rate spiked after that and homelessness of lgbt went up after that it's like Hmm. frustrating that they do that and people say they try to rationalize it by saying well the church was doing it out of love because it's that doesn't feel like love Mm -hmm. yeah and you know i think um one of the things of this podcast that we're really trying to be super careful about is um because both city and i could really you know, share a lot of our opinions and thoughts about policies and all of that. And we're really trying to make sure we keep it in a direction where, um, you know, we don't, I guess, speak negatively to the church because if those that are audience are more conservative church members, uh, they'll probably hear something that, you know, maybe Sydney or I might say, and they might say, okay, that's it. I'm not listening to this anymore. I do think that with that being said, it is really important to know, like, here's this specific thing, here's how it affected me, and even though they were expecting this reaction, like, that's an important part of being candid in it, you know? True. No, that's really true. Um, When members of the church do find out that you're gay or that um, you're open to them, like maybe some of your friends that you've had at school or even growing up... um, what kind of response are you hoping that they give you? Like, to you, what has felt most comfortable? What has felt most loving? Um, or just most natural when people find out that you're gay? Um, just treating it like it's not some rarity. I don't know. A lot of, it's Because some people, it can either... It can obviously go the bad way where people are uncomfortable with it and don't want to socialize with you, but there's also a flip side that I'm not equating. It's not as bad, obviously, but people kind of, like, unnecessarily celebrate, which some people, that's really helpful to them. I'm just speaking from my own experience, because, like I said, I can't really speak on everybody's experiences with things, but, Mm -hmm. I mean, when it's just validated, but it's not overly, like made who I am right and I'm not ashamed of being gay like I'm very proud of that part of me so I'm not because some members of the LGBT community will be like I don't like making that a big part of who I am like I'm comfortable being proud and open about that but um yeah so I guess I don't know if that was kind of a cloudy answer but I hope that made sense (laughs) can you if anything comes to mind could you give examples of how people have responded when you introduce yourself and they you know find out your sexuality and everything and um, I, I don't know if like a comment has been said or, or maybe even the opposite of what has been said that has not been helpful <laughs> or has not made you feel loved or, you know, understood or anything like that. Uh, a lot of like the, this is a pretty stereotypical response people will get where, for example, it's usually this is obviously like a man saying this to me if they find out or like sometimes I'll get new coworkers or work with new people and they'll be like they'll find out I'm gay and be like oh cool I'm cool with gay people as long as they don't come on to me oh god (laughs) that's very common (laughs) how annoying yeah it's like don't flatter yourself (laughs) but uh, yeah (laughs) there's also people who they'll be like oh cool and then they just like get really 
visibly uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't necessarily make me feel super bad. It's just kind of a funny occurrence. Yeah. Obviously, show discomfort that people have been socialized to have. But, yeah. Yeah. Almost like a you don't think that I can tell, but I can totally tell what's going on. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, another question that we wanted to ask you was um, when members of the church find out that a family member um, of theirs, whether immediate or extended, um, does fall on the LGBT spectrum, um, what are ways that that those family members can really um, make sure to include and help um, that family member feel loved, um, despite maybe them identifying their sexuality as a way that might not be as mainstream as the family has experienced. Um, I know that was kind of a long-winded question, but no, simply, I understand. Okay, simply, what are some ways that family members could respond and, and could help them to feel still love and part of the family? Because I know that has been an issue for many where they felt, you know, excluded or whatever yeah. else. Uh, yeah, so good rule of thumb when, this isn't even really specific to the church, but it always applies because it's, a general rule of thumb when someone is coming out to you um, is that you want to reflect what they are communicating. So if someone's coming out to you and they're panicky about it or you can tell they're really terrified, you got to think of their, what kind of response that requires and what that kind of is asking for because that might require some more like soothing and coaxing them through and like talking to them in a really vulnerable way but if someone comes out to you and just drops it like it's no big deal you can tell they've been out the closet for years but it's like you mirror it with like oh okay cool yeah. so if someone in a family for example like i know a lot of the time people come out to their like sibling first um so in a case like that i would just mirror what they kind of need the energy they need and then you want to ask how you can help them like how you want them to how you want to talk about it with them like how they if they need help talking to other members of the family about it but you have to do it on their terms that you're not breaking any trust or going too far as far as how out they want to be yeah like you put the ball in their court once you've responded to them yeah yeah i guess in a more succinct way you just validate them and let them know you're completely on their team yeah, I, I really love that. I think that's a really great answer, especially what you said about mirroring their responses or mirroring how they're approaching you about the subject even. And I think that takes a whole lot of attentiveness on the side of family members or even friends, whoever they're coming out to, um, to really be observant of, okay, how are they feeling and, you know, where are they at in, um, I guess, in feeling confident with their sexuality and everything. Um, what are some... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just agreeing with you. Sorry. (laughs) Um, what are some ways that, specifically that your family, um, has helped you to feel understood and loved, um, upon your journey and experience in all of this? Uh, well, so, for example, I... When I removed my records from the church, which was last September, I decided to email my parents about it because that's <laughs> that's how my parents approach serious conversations. So, <laughs> for example, I mirrored them. <laughs> Via that. email, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my dad. Um, and I told them about it, and I kind of gave a lot of reasons why, which they kind of already knew, but I wanted to put it in, like, a really kind of, uh, like, a solidified formal-ish way and when my dad responded he was totally just like I think this is a good choice for you and I hope that it brings you more peace basically is what he said wow that's awesome and I think a lot of people could have been met with anger from the family feeling betrayed because a lot of what the church sells to you is that I mean <laughs> this is kind of harsh but it is just according to church doctrine like since I will not be marrying a woman in the temple, that means that I can't be with my family for all of eternity, according to church doctrine. And so I, like, said that to my parents, and they just kind of 
they can't argue it, and they don't try to. I'm not saying that it's like putting them in a corner, but they just kind of acknowledge me, and they're like, yeah, that's that is what's taught. They don't try to stand by it necessarily in a way that makes me feel left out and like they're turning their backs on me, but yeah, they just listen to me. Yeah. If you have any suggestions on resources for people who are trying to learn more about the LGBT community or get more involved, um, um, because I know that's something that Madeline and I have both experienced where we, like, when we started being, when we started trying to learn about the LGBT community, it's kind of hard to, like, sift through and find, like, good resources to to go to. And then, uh, just second, if you have any um, other thoughts or ideas, it'll be an open mic session for you. So... <laughs> Yeah, so resources is, there's a lot online, for example, and I, I, I think you know that, but what you're saying is that it's hard to cipher out what's worth looking at and what is the best place to get the most accurate information. Mm-hmm. Um, since this is a podcast, I'll recommend, there's a couple of really good podcasts that you could learn a decent amount, at least from, um, they're not going to be like terminology like lessons and stuff, but one podcast I love is named Nancy, and they just cover a lot of different like queer stories. And uh, the two hosts are both LGBT members of the LGBT community, and so that's really great. There's one called Making Gay History that covers a lot of our history and the different kind of movements that have covered, gone through that, um, and interview from those. Um, and I would also, this is what I really wanted to stress, I remembered. Uh, look out for the local pride groups and local like student clubs and different organizations that are happening in the cities that you live because since the LGBT community, LGBTQ community is so vast and everybody has such different lives and experiences, the most accurate way to help is going to be found by the people that are living in the same place as you. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And yeah, so I know that because I know that the challenges that LGBTQ people face in Logan, Utah are different than they are in Salt Lake, different than they are in Provo, and especially different than out of state and in different countries. So it's hard to say one way to find a lot of resources, but I think a great way to get started is the volunteer stuff like that. Mm hmm. Yeah, that, that's really great, and that, that's something I want to be, <laughs> I guess, looking out for more is those um, groups and, you know, events even that are around us. Um, really quick, Gray, there is, since this is our second interview with you, from our first interview, I remember there's some really wonderful things that you said um, about the importance of being an ally and even what it looks like to be an ally for the LGBT community. And just in closing, could you share some of those thoughts with us again, if you remember them? <laughs> yes, I remember, because I, you are not the first people I've given that spiel. <laughs> okay, um, perfect. <laughs> uh, it's really important to recognize that allyship is not a self-identified label that someone can put on themselves because they like LGBT people. Allyship is, should be looked at and is a verb. It's a description of actions that you should constantly be engaging in. So allyship is not a, and I kind of dropped this earlier in the interview, I think, that not like a destination. It's not something you really arrive to after you decide that you don't hate queer people. It's something that you have to do. It's It looks like standing up for people, like correcting someone on gendering a trans person, even when that person isn't in their room. And so some people don't think it matters or talking about these issues with people besides people who are LGBT, like making it a conversation, uh, using the privilege that you have to, to fight for rights and to have these hard discussions with people who don't think that it's important. And, and so, yeah, it's important to recognize that you can't just call yourself an ally. Ally is what LGBT people label you if you're doing the right thing.
All right. Um, welcome back, everyone. It's been a few days since we talked with Gray, and we're ready to do our post. So one of the main things that we tend to do on our post is I like to lead off with a definition of the day. So the definition of the day um, is queer, which is something that Gray mentioned in his interview, and I just thought that I would give a really brief explanation of the word because it has a a little bit of a complicated history and I want people to be aware of that if they choose to use it. So queer was originally used in like the 18th century-ish uh, to mean strange, it just like no relationship with um, sexuality. It just mm. meant oh, things are a little bit odd, you know, strange and stuff like that. Um, it later developed into a derogatory term for effeminate and homosexual men. Um, specifically in like the early to mid uh, early to mid twentieth century, and then in the eighties it started to be reclaimed as like um, a positive expression by the LGBT community, and so today it generally has positive connotations, um, and it can be used for for several things, like to imply like a lack of straightness, um, or for people who don't feel like the current labels available with the LGBT community fit with them. Like, mm. if they're like, oh, I'm not necessarily lesbian or bisexual or pansexual, someone might just say, I'm queer, which means I know I'm not straight, but I, but there's not a more specific word. Or right. I don't identify with a more specific word. Um, my understanding t- t- today, and all of this has been my understanding based off of my own research um the lgbt community is not just one um unified mass so people will have different feelings about this word my understanding generally is that it can be used to describe lgbt groups but it's generally discouraged unless someone either specifically identifies as queer or it's a name of a thing like for example the tv show queer eye Mm -hmm. um or queer theory in literature and yeah, that was a lot of talking, Madeline. So. <laughs> no, that's that. great. Sydney's really good about looking up definitions of things or even the statistics um, about certain things surrounding the LGBT community. So um, I learned too as we're doing this podcast. And um, I actually, as we were preparing for this post interview or this post, I guess, follow up to the interview of Gray. Um, I even asked Sydney, I was like, wait, what does queer mean again? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we encourage you that if there is a certain word, um, whether it's transgender even, or intersex is when I looked up the other week, um, if there's a word that you don't know, look it up and, and educate yourself. That way, when people do describe themselves or people talk about things, um, you're educated in what they're saying. Yeah. Words can be very... It can feel like a barrier to understanding, but thankfully the internet is out there and there's a lot of really easy ways to find not only how it's generally used, but specifically how people in the LGBT community generally like it to be used. There we go. Um, Yeah, and it's important to understand. So that actually kind of segues into our conversation about allyship. This is something that Gray touched on toward the end of his interview. Um, Being an ally to the LGBT community includes being able to understand and use the terminology in a way that's um, not offensive, but where it can enable a constructive conversation. And so Sydney's going to talk to us a little bit about allyship, and we'll touch on some things that even Gray said. Yeah, so I feel like Gray hit two really important points um, in terms of allyship. So the first one is, is that allyship should matter regardless of whether or not you know someone who is LGBT. Um, I think that we've both talked about, you know, um, how we first became involved with the LGBT community was someone who was really important to us came out to us and it made us start thinking critically about it, you know, Mm -hmm. and start trying to figure out, wait, if this person in my life is this way, how does this fit into my life generally? It's a really important skill to learn how to make marginalized groups matter to you before they become immediate in your life. Yeah. Um, You know, this is in terms of race, of gender, of sexuality, like we discuss here, of 
um, ableism and disability. Um, and I feel like it's especially important um, when you're trying to figure out in terms of the LDS church and the LGBT community. Because if things don't start to matter until you know someone specifically who's involved, then you can go a long time without having to really think critically about where you stand. And then the second thing, and this is something that really stood out to me, was Gray said that allyship is a lot more than just a, a feeling, you know, of of deciding to be pro-LGBT. Um, it's it's marked in actions, you know? So, like, I can say that I support the LGBT community all day long, but, like, as much as I hate to admit it, it's, I sometimes have a hard time being proactive about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, and it's a, a really easy thing to just be converted in mind and not in heart, you know? Absolutely, and, yeah. yeah, to not have, and it's really important to have that follow through. I think you brought an important aspect up of that's, that, we are not just to be converted in mind, but um, also in heart. Is that what you said, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that really parallels with what we believe um, in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it's one thing to say, I believe in Christ. It's another thing to actually follow him. It's one thing to say you're an ally. It's one, it's another thing to actually be an ally and have your actions show that you um, do support or show compassion and understanding towards those of the LGBT community. Allyship in the church can be a little bit complicated sometimes, and I don't think that either of us want to... I think that both of us have had to deal with that in different ways. Um, Madeline, I think that you found a quote that you really liked. To yeah, this is um, a quote by Elder Dallinate Chokes, a quotation by him, and he says, speaking in terms of the church, he says, What needs to change is helping church members respond sensitively and thoughtfully when they encounter same-sex same sex attraction in their own families among other church members or elsewhere. Um, I, I really love what he says about responding sensitively and thoughtfully. And this goes along with allyship because we not only want to... Um, respond thoughtfully and sensitively when LGBT members are present, but also when they're absent. Um, it's important that we are able to stand up for those in the LGBT community when they're not able to be there staying up for themselves. One example of this, um, I have, this is not the same issue, but this is something that I was reminded of is, so my dad has been inactive in the church since I was like two years old. I, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes people say really hurtful things about inactive members yeah. of the church. And I mean, in terms of Sunday school lessons, it's a pretty, it can feel like a pretty safe gr group to say derogatory things about because you figure that there aren't going to be any inactive members <laughs> in the audience. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, my dad's inactive. So every time that they're saying these horrible things about inactive members and like, I don't say the word horrible lightly. Mm -hmm. I've left multiple lessons in tears because of things that members of the church, seminary teachers have said about inactive members of, of the church, you know? So I feel like you... You never can just assume because of who you see in front of you that the words that you say aren't going to affect someone. Mm -hmm. um, because even if it's not that person specifically, you know it's going to be a sibling or another loved one or a best friend or something like that. And so, I don't know. It's just, it's really important to be sensitive and thoughtful, not only when you're speaking to someone that you know is LGBT, but also just in general, you know, mm -hmm. um, because you just, you, you never know. And those things can be so hurtful so fast. It's really true. It, it reminds me of that phrase from, um, the hymn that goes in the quiet heart is hidden sorrow that the eye can't see. Yeah. You never know who you're with that may be struggling with feelings of same sex attraction. Um, or not even struggling, not struggling with, but, but just, has... just experiences feelings of same-sex attraction or maybe struggling as in terms with um, fitting 
their sexuality into terms of the church and its beliefs and the struggle that exists in that experience. Um, and so it's really important that we, we keep these things in mind, no matter what audience we're around. So you'll notice that I just used the word struggling in a way that wasn't totally right. Um, and so something that I also want to correct was in the intro, I talked about how as members of the church, we have and we make the covenant obligation to bear one another's burdens that they may be light. And I wanted to just clarify that what we mean is not so much that the burden is um, the burdens of one's the burden of one's orientation, but um, the burden we're talking about is the burden upon church members of not being able to square their sexuality with their traditions or um, the theology that they believe in. And so it's not being um, gay or anything else that's a burden. It's walking the road alone that is a burden. So I came across a letter that Elder Holland, in a speech he gave once, um, a letter that he read to the audience that a church member had actually wrote him. And before he reads this letter, he says, We all know that too many of God's children do suffer silently and alone. And so along the lines with talking about that the burden is walking on that path alone, we want you, um, that as I read this letter, we want you to be thinking, what are some of the burdens that you can hear? as we read this. And this is written to Elder Holland by a gay member of the church. And this is what he says. I face a lifetime of lonely nights and dreary mornings. I attend my YSA ward faithfully and each week leave church knowing that I can never really fit in. I will never teach my son to ride a bike. I will never feel my baby girl hold my finger as she learns to walk. I will never have grandchildren. I will come home to an empty house day after day, month after month, decade after decade, anchored only by my hope in Christ. Sometimes I wonder why he would do this to me and ask me to make such an impossible sacrifice. I cry at night when nobody can see. I have not told anybody, not even my parents. They and my friends would reject me if they knew, just as they have all rejected those who have walked this path in front of me. I will live life at the margins. I have the option of either being harassed and avoided for being single or pitied and ignored for telling the reason. Life looms long before me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Yeah, that, I like, I hate listening to that because it is so painful for me to hear. You know, I think that as the church's understanding stands right, as the church's policies stand right now, it really can create this, like the letter writer described, a long, lonely path where if you decide where if the way that you follow the church's teachings is that you as a member of the LGBT community choose not to pursue relationships with people that you're attracted to it's like the church is so family-centered you know and that even just temporarily is such a painful thing and it's so important to acknowledge that it's a painful thing. Yeah, it is. I, I I feel like I've said that three or four times already, and I'm probably going to say it three or four more <laughs> times before the episode ends. Because that's just, I feel like that was where my starting place um, for understanding the LGBT c- c- community was, was understanding just how much sometimes church policies could hurt people. Yeah, and I think Gray even brought up one of these policies um, in our interview. He brought up what he called the November policy. Um, And so you might hear that and think, wait, what's the November policy? So, Sydney, can you give us a little clarification of what that is? (laughs) Another definition coming your way. There we go. So the November policy was passed several years ago. I don't remember the year off the top of my head. Um, Essentially, what it was is so... Um, people who are, are, are married to members of, of the same sex who adopted or had children um, could have their their children baptized in the church. You know, at age 8, the children could go into the bat- temple at age 12, etc. Underneath the November policy, children weren't allowed to be baptized until they were 18. So 
Um, and again, I do not speak for the entire LGBT community in any way, shape or form, but a lot for a lot of people, it was so hurtful in a church where they already felt marginalized to be pushed out even further, you know, that extra mm-hmm. step. Mm-hmm. It's Cindy and I were actually talking about this beforehand, but how in order to bear one another's burdens and know this path of loneliness that they may walk, it's important to understand how do these policies affect them? What are their reactions to the policies um, that the church put out, puts out? And, um, you know, President Nelson, in a recent speech at BYU, he made it clear that they were aware of a lot of the feelings that people had about this policy. And I just wanted to read a quick um, paragraph from what he said. He says, The First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve have continued to seek the Lord's guidance and plead with him in behalf of his children who were affected by the 2015 policy. So there we go, 2015. We knew that this policy created concern and confusion for some and heartache for others. That grieved us. Whenever the sons and daughters of God weep, for whatever reasons, we weep. So our supplications to the Lord continued. Yeah, what are your feelings about that? About the quote about the November policy being put in place and then revoked? Yeah, I'll just be really transparent with all of you. Um, I think that... It confuses me <laughs> a little bit, and maybe a lot of you feel the same. I think President Nelson, in this speech that he gave at BYU this past September, he really made it clear about some of the reasons behind the policy being put in place and then um, revoked, I guess you could say. But, um, yeah, it does confuse me. I I do believe and sustain President Nelson as a prophet of God, however, and I um, I have received that revelation for myself that he is a true prophet um, and so I, I am doing my very best to sustain him and, um, to follow, um, the teachings that we receive in general conference and elsewhere. Um, but I think it's okay to say that things are confusing sometimes and I have questions and some things don't entirely make sense to me. Yeah. How do you feel, Sydney? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from the last 10... From the last few minutes alone, people could probably guess how I feel about it. (laughs) Um, To speak equally, frankly, and hopefully as clearly as possible. You know, it's very complicated being in the LDS church sometimes. I know that we talk about the gospel is simple and stuff like that. Um, Policies are not simple. Um, policies that are interpreted as doctrine are not simple. The line between the two, I know we sometimes say that they're clear to me. They aren't, mm-hmm. you know, or at least they aren't nearly as often as they should be. So for me, it's hard, you know, every time that there is a rule like that, there is something like this that enact that can impede upon um, a minority group in the church, especially one as vulnerable as the LGBT community where, you know, there aren't enough people in, posi- in in positions of power in the church who are LGBT, who are able to speak up and have their voices be recognized, you know, and say, like, hey, like, this policy is going to really hurt people, you know? Mm-hmm. I can believe that, that the November policy was enacted as an act of love, but I personally don't know if it was the right thing to do you know I personally from the accounts I've read online as well as from talking with people and seeing the pain that it brought about to me the commandment to love others and how often Christ talked about accepting others and helping others to feel like they have a place here to me the November policy didn't seem to do that yeah You know, and I think when these things happen in the church, we can say, okay, well, because I'm feeling confused and conflicted in my faith, does this mean I should leave what I've known to be true? And for some people, they feel that for their happiness, that is the right thing to do. And I only speak for myself when I say this, but for me in this circumstance with some of the confusing um, thoughts that I've had and even questions I've had that don't have answers currently, um, I've been able to say, okay, 
I don't think God is necessarily testing my faith so much as he's wanting me to learn something about myself. And through all this, I've been able to learn, Madeline has been able to learn <laughs> something about Madeline, <laughs> essentially, and, and where I'm at in my, um, uh, I guess, allegiance to Jesus Christ. But also, where I'm not at, what still confuses me. And so we want you to just think about some of these policies and the effects that maybe they've had on friends or family or acquaintances around you. Um, but most of all, we, you know, you might be thinking, okay, therefore what? What, what are we going to do as a whole result of this? So we do have a call to action for you. And that's something that Sydney and I tried, will try to include in each episode. Um, but our call to action today is we want you um, to notice the rhetoric and a speech around you um, in regards to the LGBT community. Yeah. Um, especially at church or in church-centric environments. Um, if you live in Utah, which I grew up in Utah, so I feel free to poke <laughs> a little bit of fun of, uh, about it. If you're in Utah, that means everywhere you go. <laughs> um, Work, yeah. neighborhood, Yeah, the church school. does have a tendency to seep into a lot of, a lot of spaces in Utah. Um, so to take a, a moment, um, in the world at, at large and paying special attention in uh, church environments. Uh, how do you discuss LGBT issues? How do the people around you discuss it? How would people in the LGBT community hear uh, uh, feel if they heard it, if they were in the room listening to it and stuff like that? Um, just taking a few moments and just kind of reflecting um, how different ways that you phrase things could could affect people in the LGBT community as well as people navigating the L being LGBT and being LDS at the same time, why there can be complicated and, you know, deeply hurt feelings and so on. Yeah. So a little bit of a heavy first episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we next episode, we have planned to have an interview with Kyle Manwaring, who is um, a gay member of the church. And so stay tuned and keep listening and thanks for staying through the whole thing of this episode <laughs> yep this is canon conversations signing off